Hello and good morning. Welcome to Case by Case brought to you by Schneider Packaging. I'm your host, Courtney Eckert, and today we're discussing trends in automation and workforce, and we're lucky enough to be talking to Matt Reynolds, Chief Editor at Packaging World. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We are so glad that you're here because there's a lot to talk about in this field. Historically, there's a tension and a careful balance between automation and human labor in the workforce. And automation has the potential to vault productivity forward, but it also has the potential to eliminate jobs. With packaging automation, companies involved have to walk a very delicate line in bringing in new automation to eliminate the truly demanding jobs. And the brands involved often have to convince labor that automation could actually improve their lives. So how can increased automation actually aid in providing jobs and improving the quality of life for current employees? Yeah, well, uh, the short answer to that is redistribu redistribution of labor um, away from the most mundane, the most repetitive, the least ergonomically friendly, and, uh, and, and the most prone to danger or injury uh, type of jobs um, and towards more mentally stimulating positions. Um, but you mentioned uh, kind of a, for a full historical context, this, this tension between labor and automation that's always existed. That was born out of an era where labor was, uh, it was everywhere. It was, there was no shortage of labor and that's currently not the case within the ten, last 10 years, especially, and then uh, you know, extremely heightened by the pandemic. Um, you know, I'm just looking at stat right here from a May report from Deloitte and the Manufacturing Institute that says that the pandemic erased 1.4 million U.S. manufacturing jobs. And that's after it took us six years to claw back 600,000 jobs. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, one step forward, two steps back. Now, wow. we, we have recouped some of those jobs. Um, uh, by the end of 2020, there was kind of an initial shock to the system that, you know, we recouped those jobs. And I would say that that's pan-industrial. Those stats are pan-industrial across aerospace and, and automotive and, and various other industries. For food, beverage, and pharma, you know, during the, during the uh, pandemic, people still had to eat. I mean, for me, I probably ate more and, uh, you know, when I was cooped up. But uh, those jobs continued. So compared to the pan-industrial numbers, food, pharma, beverage, they did quite well um, and they, they maintain labor. Their, their biggest uh, difficulty was moving from, uh, you know, the, the balance, the omnichannel channel balance between uh, food service and retail to almost exclusively retail and more e-com and then food service was shut down. So that was their big problem. They were going like gangbusters. Uh, but still across all industries, manufacturing is a problem and labor is, is still short. Um, so that means automation has to step in as, as something that uh, works symbiotically with uh, the workforce, a very tight, a very um, a scarce workforce. Uh, so mm -hmm. the, the companies that have these folks that, they, that are uh, good, good workers, they, they need to struggle to maintain them. And one way to maintain them, retain them, is to get them off that repetitive task and get them you know, operating uh, machinery that's mentally stimulating and, and rewarding. Right now we're at this moment across manufacturing where the labor market is extremely tight and it's not always dependable. So even with some resistance to automation, why do you think we're seeing a dip in interested employees in these fields? Well, I think it's a historical PR problem. Um, honestly, when people think of manufacturing, they think of uh, Gerald Ford plants in you know the, the teens and 20s, where people will be doing a single repetitive task over and over again, moving a widget from belt A to belt B or, or doing something like that. Or worse yet, think of, uh, they're thinking of historical uh, images of machine shops where, you know, uh, you know, John the machinist has got four fingers on one hand because the punch press went awry one day. 
Um, and uh, th these are this is imagery that's been uh, repeated over and over again in the movies and and, and media. Um, but it bears no resemblance to a current manufacturing facility with its Kaizen and its you know Six Sigma and its continuous improvement and Toyota uh, historic. The 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 modern manufacturing facility uh, you can eat off the floors, um, but that percept but the negative perceptions that exist you know persist. So it's a matter of education. It's a matter of reclaiming um, our narrative of what manufacturing is, which what we know it is, um, and that starts you know. A very young age where we can get people into STEM education type of positions and demonstrate what kind of uh, lucrative careers they can have in front of them. And I use the word career and not a job in this case because this can be a permanent career. Um, and, uh, and these are positions that can be uh, grown into. Um, we need to get the ear of high school guidance counselors to not just say your options are doctor, lawyer, college. There's, there's community colleges and two-year programs and, and trade schools and so on that, that just offer enormous opportunity and the need is there. We were talking about automation uh, being, you know, this boogeyman a second ago. Um, well, automation, these machines that are uh, being produced right now are intended to exist for 20 years and they're not gonna maintain themselves. They're not, you know, we're, maybe within our lifetimes, we'll see robots, maintaining robots, maintaining robots uh, with full AI, but that's not happening right now or anytime soon. Um, so we're gonna need, uh, you know, educated, skilled people. And when I say educated, I, I just mean, uh, you know, aptitude. Um, so whether that's, you know, mechatronics uh, kind of certifications or whatever that might be, just to get uh, folks up to a kind of a, a certain level of aptitude so that we know that, that those folks are going to be, um, you know, good with PLC, good with uh, IO, good with uh, electronics, whatever it might be, uh, rather than varying from person to person. So I, I guess that's a long-winded way of saying that uh, we've got a PR problem historically and it's up to us in manufacturing to change the narrative. I think that's so important what you just said about learning at these careers at a young age, because this is actually something I think about a lot, that not only does a small, small percentage of children reach their dream job, most people don't even, haven't even heard of what career that they end up in when they're in grade school. So I think that's a really important thing to give more visibility to all different types of careers that we have today. Um, but, but back to automation, I'm thinking about how there's some very obvious benefits of automation, one being that brands have so much more control. And something I really liked that you mentioned prior was that automation doesn't call in sick, it doesn't have uh, requirements for health insurance, it doesn't ever have the risk of leaving for greener pastures. So what are the difficult aspects of relying on automation? Well, Automation, in, it doesn't call in sick, but it does, uh, you know, kind of a red light that says I need some maintenance right now or I will in 10 days. Um, it's expensive uh, to start off because it's the, the, you know, the capital outlay is bigger. Um, but uh, in general, uh, it, it requires human intervention at some level. Um, we're not at true AI yet and we won't be for quite some time. Um, so uh, it requires the hand of a, of a person who uh, is going to be available, whether it's one or two on shift, uh, to be able to ma maintain and keep these machines running perfectly. Because the enemy for any CPG or brand or you know food, pharma, beverage is downtime. And these machines, while they can you know you can set it and forget it for a certain amount of time, uh, there needs to be a human interaction there to make to make sure it's running, purring along uh, nicely. So. That makes sense. So I know that it's not always the case that automation results in the loss of jobs because 
good employees are so scarce and so valuable, it's much more likely that they are redistributed to more mentally stimulating work. So how can companies better balance human labor and automation within the same system? The, I mean, the easy answer there is, is training. Um, so we, we already talked about and kind of set the, the historical stage where there's this combative nature between labor and automation. I think going forward, it's it's really becoming a truly symbiotic relationship and where a, a brand or a, a food or farm or whatever it might be, uh, a, a, a brand owner um, needs to be maintaining their equipment and, and buying, investing in new equipment and improving throughput through automation, but also growing those employees along the way uh, to be, you know, symbiotically related to that machinery and able to, you know, anticipate, you know, predictive maintenance and predict maintenance and these sorts of things. Um, and, and also, I think there, there's an opportunity for the the suppliers, the OEMs to step in and, and be a conduit to continue to help to train um, because they're building these machines. They're uh, interfacing directly oftentimes with controls and, and, and uh, automation suppliers that they're, um, that they're uh, purchasing from. Um, so there's an opportunity for upstream to downstream collaboration from the machinery builder to the brands and so on to share in that training um, burden. And burden is probably a bad word. It's, it implies a negative connotation. But tr what training is going to do is keep that balance between the, um, you know, exactly how sophisticated the equipment is with how sophisticated the the employee is. And I think sophisticated, again, I, I, sophisticated is, we're, we're, when we think sophisticated, we think of, uh, you know, a master's degree from MIT engineer. That's not necessarily the case. I spoke to uh, Stefan Gerard at PMI yesterday. He does a lot with the workforce uh, and labor uh, there. And he said, you know, we think of engineers and, and equipment engineers and, and the, you know, massive salaries that, that they command and, you know, how rare they are. But for what, every one engineer these companies need, they need maybe six or seven technicians. So it's these techs, these operators. Um, it's not unskilled labor, labor, it's highly skilled labor, but we need to uh, be constantly training uh, to keep those, uh, keep that, that level, that balance between the sophistication of the equipment and the sophistication of the labor that's maintaining and ensuring that it's running. You've said that automation breeds more automation. So what changes do you hope to see within companies as they implement more automation? Yeah, so what often happens is automation is applied at the, the, the bottleneck. It's applied, you know, it's the old, uh, the old term is, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Well, it's often the case where, where anything that, that, that uh, is limiting to throughput is where the automation is uh, then applied. Um, but then that just shifts the bottleneck to another place. So there's this constant uh, moving target of, of where, uh, you know, uh, what's going to be improved next. And, and again, it's that symbiotic relationship between the, the machinery, the equipment and what's going in and the people who are there to maintain it, the techs who are there to maintain it, whether that's in-house for a brand, for a, for a food pharma CPG, or whether that's the OEM a service technician that might be coming in now. I mean, with the, with the advent of, of AR and VR, uh, service technicians can be um, virtually in your facility, um, uh, you know, uh, servicing the equipment or, or training is another way to do that. And we have learned, you know, in the last 18 months of Zoom calls and so on, that we can do more than we thought in, in a distributed setting. Um, so, so there's a lot of more opportunity, I think, for, for collaboration between, again, upstream, downstream, um, CPG and, and the OEM. Uh, suppliers uh, in terms of service maintenance and so on and training. Training is the most important thing. Mm. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us, Matt. I've really enjoyed getting to talk and, and learn from you. So where can listeners get more information? Um, well, our uh, chief magazine here is uh, is Packaging World. Uh, that's what I'm chiefly responsible for, I should say. Um, uh, we also have a couple uh, magazines. Automation World is important, OEM Magazine. Uh, uh, Pro Food World is another one for the food and beverage sector. So all of those are easily Googleable. Mine is packworld.com. Uh, but also an important one in this context, I think, is PMMI. That's the organization um, that runs Pack Expo. Uh, but they have a strong commitment to uh, workforce. And I, I mentioned Stefan Gerard, who works there. Um, he directs that, that sector. Uh, so PMMI.org backslash workforce. There's all sorts of resources there on training, uh, how to work with local community colleges and trade schools to, to really boost your local talent pool. Excellent. And to everyone watching, thank you so much for tuning in. This has been Case by Case. I'm Courtney Eckerd, and we'll talk to you soon.